This is the PowerShell Podcast. It's all about PowerShell and the PowerShell community. PowerShell Podcast. A production of PDQ.com. Making device management simple, secure, and pretty damn quick. And now, here's your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the PowerShell Podcast. I'm host Jordan with Ultra Mega Superstar Andrew. Stop. And, yeah, and we're uh, we're trying a slightly different format this time. Yeah, we, we, we do have a guest. So don't worry, you don't have to hear me talk too much. But we want to try just more of a talk about some things with PowerShell. Then we'll bring in who is frankly an awesome guest today. Yeah, well, we'll get into that in a little bit. We're just here to to wet the whistle before we get really deep into things. Um, kind of tap in with us as we go through our different PowerShell happenings and, and what we run across each week, that kind of thing. Just touch base. I, I want to find out, you mentioned something, the yes. greatest secret in content creation history. Explain that to me. <laughs> this is some serious PowerShell-related stuff here. So I was watching TV with my kids, and I have a 10-year-old and a seven-year-old, and they have to argue about what they choose, but for some reason, they both like Teletubbies, which is like for very young kids kind of show. And this is the biggest secret in content history. So this is a TV show, and you know what they do? They're in this world, and then something happens, and they go watch a video, okay? So they're in the Teletubbies world with all the five different Teletubbies that we know and love, and they go to watch a video, and they watch maybe like a three to five-minute clip. It's edited. It's nice. There's kids. It's blah, blah, blah. They leave the video clip, and you know what they do? Again! And they play the exact same video clip again. So to me, that is just a key to success in anything. Just completely repeat, repeat the work you've already done um, and, and get just as much money from it. All right. Well, I think that one's perfect. Let's bring in our guest and see if he can compete with the Teletubbies. Yeah, that's pretty much it. If you can beat Teletubbies, <laughs> uh, you're a winner in my book. All right. Everybody, welcome Jeff Hicks. No pressure, but you've got Teletubbies to compete with now. Oh my God. <laughs> Teletubbies are just, you need some serious hallucinogenics to <laughs> watch that show if you're less, if you're older than two years old. Yes, you definitely do. <clears throat> oh my God. But you don't need hallucinogenics to get started in PowerShell. No, but it can be fun, but no, you don't, right? You don't. <clears throat> oh. So today I wanted to, at the end of our last episode, I think, Jordan, that one of the takeaways I was I got was we need to get more people into PowerShell. How do we kind of figure out that situation? More people in PowerShell, more people contributing, more people getting more people in, and all those kinds of related things. Um, so Jeff, I guess to get things started off, how do you think we need to get more people into PowerShell? Where do we need to focus? Where do we need to drive our efforts? Well, that's a, you know... I probably have a different answer now than I did maybe 10 years ago when we were first kind of getting started. That's an excellent question. I'm not really sure how to get people started now because there are still plenty of people who've been in IT for a while who are just now realizing, yes, I need to learn PowerShell. And often it's because they have some problem. They think, okay, maybe I, PowerShell will make this easy to do. So it may just be a way of showing people all of the different use cases so that they can see, oh, if I use PowerShell, I can say, I can import a CSV and create, you know, a hundred new user accounts fully populated in Active Directory. Or I can fire up uh, an Azure virtual network with three VMs. 
or I can report on how much disk space this folder is using and get a report. And I, people just need to see, I think, all the different use cases where PowerShell makes sense. So simply put, they need to see the power of PowerShell. Yeah, yeah. Um, I used to tell I used to tell people back when we first were getting started, <clears throat> I'd say, you know, like find your VB script tool that you're using, see how long it takes to, you know, to run it in VB script, then write the PowerShell equivalent of that. Don't just rewrite the VB script. Start fresh with PowerShell, but come up with the same end result and then see how much faster and more efficient that code is to work with and to write. And that was usually a, a good thing. Or even just any task that you have to do now manually, don't make it super complicated. You know, something that you have to do every day, like event log reporting or, you know, rebooting, a, a restarting a, a service, a critical service, and just find a way to automate that process with PowerShell. That's a great Great point. Find those first kind of starter ways to get value. And you can speak to this. They don't always have to be super long scripts. You can find one command, maybe pipe it to another command that can be massively useful for you. And if you can regularly find yourself in positions to start piecing together those commands and saving them and building those habits, you can you know really set yourself up for success in the long term. Yeah, I always I also come across people who they'll say they're new to whatever VB script or PowerShell. So my favorite example, this was back in the VB script days, but I'll hear equivalent things today. Someone would, came to me and said, you know, I, I need to, I'm new to VB script, but I want to be able to get these WMI permissions and set them all on all of these files using WMI. And I'm just like, oh my God, you have picked the hardest thing to do in VB script. So you're just setting yourself up for failure and a lot of headbanging. So don't do that. Pick something simple and don't be don't be ashamed that it's simple. You need to get those little building blocks. Eventually you can do the VB script WMI stuff or that equivalent, but don't start that way. Don't, with with any don't, tool. Don't, don't hurt, don't poke yourself in the eye to get started. With any tool, you usually need some sort of quick win or something that shows value if you're going to fully adopt it. And especially if there's something that you need to like show management to justify, I need the time to do this. I need to go buy a book. I need to go to a conference. You know, we need a Pluralsight subscription, something that then justifies say, oh yeah, you are, because you went to this conference, you were able to complete this task and now you have saved us X amount of money. If you can show that kind of, return, literal return on investment. That's how you get company support. That's a great point. Make your work visible, show that what you're doing is impactful, and then you kind of get corporate buy-in to proceed and, and you get more trust in your vision. Yeah, if your company says, no, we don't want to train you because then you're going to leave, you should be leaving. Yeah, that, that's the place you want to go anyway. Yeah, yeah. That's be a big, big red flag saying, okay, I'm going to go get my resume up to date and start looking and see what else is out there. I remember when I was first learning, uh, the big value the company saw was querying AD to pull reports, which was not complex. But to the, them, that was such a, a rock star move that I could just sit there focus on that, that I could spend other times like, well, I'm just learning new things in PowerShell. And it's like, it can go beyond reports. And it would just, uh, 
open up a lot of doors. Yeah, and it's a great glide path to other languages. I mean, I don't really know Python, but I can look at Python code and kind of suss out what it's doing because I have enough PowerShell experience. You know, I can look at C-sharp code. <clears throat> I can look at the, you know, PowerShell repository and I can look through the source code for a command and go, okay, I don't fully understand all of this, but I get the gist about what it's going on. Now, if you're brand new to PowerShell, no, you're not going to be able to do that. But after a few years of experience, yeah, and then you can learn and glide into other things. A lot of the, uh, I guess, coding processes are the same, things like loops and and the way. So even sure. though the, yeah. the verbs in the language changes, the, the process is similar enough, I guess. Yeah. So... When it comes to getting started in PowerShell, they need to see the power and the cool things that they can do. But say someone sees that, they know PowerShell is awesome. Maybe they're a little bit intimidated or they're right at that first step where they maybe have ran a command one or two times. Maybe they tried to use a different module that wasn't available. They kind of gave up, but they've ran get process and maybe stop process kind of things. Um, how can, like, I guess us as community people, how can we support and ensure that people who are super early in their journey, never done any language, uh, programming language work or anything like that before, how can we support them and ensure that they continue? Well, I think the way that I approach is when I'm trying to, I guess it's the way that I've started changing the way that I teach is I don't want people to focus on what commands do I need to learn to run in order to do something and learning about the pipeline? I want to try to get people, and what I think we can do as the community to help people is to approach, lang approach PowerShell more from a holistic language approach, like you're learning French or Swedish or Urdu or something like that. <clears throat> you need to learn the syntax and the language and the operators and the concepts and the constructs don't just focus on what commands do I need to run in order to, you know, stop this service. You want to be thinking about the concepts of PowerShell, of finding a command. How do I find a command? What kind of object does that command write to the output? How do I customize the command with parameters? If I want then to take that output and save it, say, to a text file, what do I need to do? So focus more on what you want to do with the language as opposed to just how do I, what checkboxes do I need to learn in order to complete a given task? Kind of, do you see where I'm going with that? Yeah, yeah. So that's where like uh, get help, get command, and get member, those three are kind of forcing them to learn. Yes, yes. Uh, those are, start with, with those three, right? Always. Um, you want to think about, you know, why do you need to learn or why would you want to learn um, a language like, like German? for example. Well, maybe there's this hot new person in the office who's from Germany and you would like to be able to chat up a conversation with them. So you're going to not focus on, you know, the, the grunt part of, of German. You're going, to, you want, you're going to want to learn to be fluent in German so that you can talk about anything. You don't want to just say, ask this hot person, hey, where's the toilet? Or where's the library? You want to be able to have a conversation. So the only way you're going to have that conversation is by building some fluency in language. And fluency comes from time and experience. Exactly. And 
I want to loop this back into something that you said on LinkedIn, and I'll quote you here. As you are learning PowerShell, if you encounter content that you feel is a bit advanced for you, get through it the best you can, then bookmark it and make a note to review it in six months. Hopefully, you'll feel differently. And to me, this speaks to it's a language you need to spend time with it. Over time, ideas and concepts will continue to present themselves to you and they'll start to make sense. You won't have to dedicate mental energy to kind of understanding all this. But I thought that was a really great post that you had and it really resonated with me and reminded me of what learning hard things in PowerShell was like for me. It took me a long time. Yeah, it's hard for me sometimes to remember what it's like to be a beginner because I have been doing PowerShell since the days of Monad. So it literally is a second language. I dream in it. I don't have to think. I just, it's just instinctive. I'm natively fluent in PowerShell. Um, if I were to try, and that's because I've been using it now since 2005. If I were to go back and try to like use my French again, which I took in high school and college, I haven't really had to have any need to speak French. So those skills are completely rusty. Now, my wife and I are watching Emily in Paris. And over the course of three seasons, it's been interesting how some of my French is coming back just by listening to that. So if I worked at it, I probably could bring my fluency back up. But yes, you have to do it. Now, to come back to my LinkedIn post, yeah, one of the reasons I posted that is because a lot of times my content, whether it's you know a Pluralsight course or a conference session or an article that I've written, I try to cram in as much as I can. If I could brain dump my PowerShell skills into someone's head, I'd happily do that. Um, so I usually would tell people like at conferences, you know, just... You're going to have questions. We'll answer questions, but just let the content wash over you. Absorb what you can. You have all the demos. So you can come back later. You have contact information. You can get a hold of me, which no one ever does. Um, just absorb what you can. Eventually, though, as you learn more, things will start clicking into place. And at some point down the road, you'll have that aha moment go, Oh, that's what Jeff was talking about in that conference session. Now I now that makes sense to me. I didn't have a particular piece that I needed to make that make sense. And so you may read some content, some in-depth blog article that Andrew wrote that just like blows your mind. You go, wow, that's really cool. I don't understand, you know, a tenth of it. That's fine. Read it. Go away, work on it, learn, keep learning PowerShell. But then come back to that in six months, reread and go, hopefully, if you have really been immersing yourself in the language and have built up those skills, you'll understand more of it. Maybe still not 100%, because maybe there's some really is some deep dive stuff. But then you go to Andrew and say, okay, I understand everything but this. And that's where the community then is more than happy to step in and say, okay, Good. You got that part. Here's how I'm going to explain this one little piece that maybe you still need a little help with. And I think that as a beginner for me, when I would see a lot of the content that you're talking about, the advanced content that is just a little bit deeper than just solving a problem and getting some value out of PowerShell, you're really kind of getting into the weeds. Um, I used to think that, wow, these people are just 
wired different. They just think this way. But in reality, and you can speak to this as someone who's trained so many people in PowerShell, it has nothing to do with being any kind of genius. It has to do with time and exposure. And when you get uncomfortable, do you just completely turn away? Or do you maybe allow yourself to be, like you said, overwhelmed and washed over? And, and how long can you be in that learning state? Yeah. And here's, here's the dirty little secret, especially for introductory content. I only have to know a little bit more than you in order to, you know, sound like I know what I'm talking about. Because I do know what I'm talking about because it's just a little bit more than what you know. So to you, it may look like, oh, he knows all the stuff. I'm never going to learn this. When in reality, I'm just a couple pages ahead of you. So that's, and that's a great way to, to teach someone, or I'm sorry, great way to learn is to teach someone. So like Jordan, I'm, I have a mission now. He doesn't know this yet. I have a mission now to expand Jordan's skill sets in PowerShell. That's good. I can use it. We'll, we'll have some talk uh, and over drinks during the PowerShell summit about how we're going to do this. But we need to, I've identified some places where I think I can help Jordan. He doesn't know it yet, but <laughs> we're going to have some fun. Um, well, I, I can say there's no way I'm going to turn down an opportunity to learn from you. <laughs> <laughs> so we can find ways to help other people by helping ourselves. So here, here's, here's something I was thinking about I was, as I was coming back uh, for our chat here today. Sign up for your local user group. Sign up for a slot like three months down the road and pick a topic that you don't really know. I do this all the time. I sign up for uh, make conference sessions for topics that I know maybe a tiny bit about, but I know would be killer topics. And I know, you know, I really need to learn this more. So by signing up for a session, I force myself, I give myself a deadline. I have to learn this now. And I have to learn this at least enough so that I can present it. And when the conference comes around, everyone wins. They get, the audience gets new content. I've learned something new. And then actually whatever I've learned is probably just the starting point and there's more that I can go with. So find some little topic for your local user group, even if it's something, especially if it's something that you don't feel 100% confident that you know, then you've given yourself three to four months, whatever, to learn it and learn how to present it. That, that would be a, another way that we can help get people into the community. Hey, and to take it a step further, hey, I run the Gainesville PowerShell user group. If you're out there hearing this and you're feeling inspired, hit me up. There's a litany of ways you can reach out to me, but I'd be happy to allow anyone, any first-time speakers, I'm happy to support you through it. If you need feedback on anything, you know, I know I'm not the only user group who feels this way too. Everyone gets what Jeff is saying right now, where learning is the or sorry, teaching is the best way to learn. Um, every skill you've gotten in your arsenal right now, you've had to learn, right? So you could do that again um, and just creating that habit of learning and habit of teaching. It's just such a great thing to do. It's, it makes it very easy to stay current with things if you're doing that. Yeah, there's always going to be someone in the audience who doesn't know as much as you do and who will go, oh, that's real. I didn't know that. That's very helpful. Thank you. So it doesn't have to be everyone in the audience. And you don't have to always come with, you know, PowerShell Summit level content. One herd level content is evergreen. There's always someone new who doesn't know that topic. Even if it's something as simple as 
where object, for example. Well, lots of things, lots of different ways you can use where object. Or even just, you know, late filtering if you want to broader take a broader step back. One of the nice things for both user groups or summit, I've noticed when people are giving the talk on that, is whether you know the most or not, or there's always going to be people that chime in to help or or say, here's what I use that. So there's always it, it becomes a discussion whether you want it to or not. So as long as you know enough to get the ball rolling, usually you're gonna have people stepping in to either say here here's another avenue or or help if uh, you get a question you're stuck on. So it's at least it, I haven't given a summit talk, but in the user groups I've done that talk, it's always been more of a collaborative effort by the end of it. Yeah. And as you are learning PowerShell, don't be afraid to reread content on a topic that you think you know, especially if it's from a different source. Because I may write an article <clears throat> on how to use, you know, for each object dash parallel. And Jordan may write an article that also covers that topic, but he's going to cover it probably in a different way than I will. And Andrew, if he reads both of those articles, he's going to be much better off than if he just read one of them. So don't be afraid to reread content that you think you know, because someone may bring up a little tidbit to go, oh, I, that resonates with me. I need to use that. Or the way that they teach the concept maybe connects better with you than with someone else. Or there are people that are just beginners right now. They're different than the beginners two years ago. And having relevant current content makes them feel like they're supported and makes them feel like they're part of, you know, those things that humans like to kind of keep them on the right track. And this uh, includes rereading the PowerShell help. I can't tell you how many times, <clears throat> and this has happened to me, where I'm banging my head, how come I can't get this to work? I go back and reread the help. Oh, it's right there. There's an example that's exactly what I'm trying to do, but I I haven't read the example. I haven't read the help in a year. So I missed something. So especially with PowerShell 7, now that you know we get new versions a couple times a year, the help is constantly being updated. There may be a new parameter. There may be a new example. So you always have to be in the habit of rereading help, even for stuff that you think you know. Yep. I think like kind of goes back to what you're mentioning earlier with feeling like you're in a conference, you're getting kind of washed over with information. <clears throat> when we're reading all this documentation all the time, there's a certain amount of just stuff that washes off, even if you are familiar with the things. Oh, you can read absolutely. documentation for stuff you already know, and it just, whoops, I, my brain turned off for three sentences there. I technically read them, but they didn't process or I didn't connect those dots. I've, I've had that exactly. I, and I can't remember what the commandment was, but I had a problem. I couldn't figure out why, how I couldn't get this to work. I went back and there was a help and there was a parameter that solved my problem. So when I first read the help, yeah, the parameter, it didn't resonate with me. I, I was just kind of like glossed over me. But now that I was looking for it, I saw it go, oh, that's what I need to use. And it was right there. I could have saved myself a lot of headache and heavy drinking just by reading, reading the help. Well, maybe the headaches. Yeah, because I want to save myself the heavy drinking. I actually quite enjoy that part of it. <laughs> yeah. So since since we last met at Summit, I have still unable to get my hands on Blanton's, oh, which, is, which is a bummer, but that was a, has a fantastic ribbon. Uh, I, I did have a question. I'm one of those where I went about learning PowerShell very wrong at the start, and it's part of it's because I'm not one to reach out or, or seek help. So I was one where I'd Google, how do I do something specifically? And then I would make it work for me. But I didn't understand for years that PowerShell would return an object where that was valuable. So it wasn't until 
I got hired here and a guy named Chris who became a mentor, he, he took the time to, he, he realized that I could make it function, but I didn't understand PowerShell. And he took the time to give me the baseline and I'm way better for it. But how do we, I guess, help people like me that are less likely to reach out? Yeah. So, I mean, you're the perfect example of what I'm talking about where someone's trying to learn PowerShell just to do X, Y, and Z, as opposed to looking at the larger gestalt of the of the language and the concepts. Um, so I'm always focusing and talking about, you know, objects in the pipeline, objects in the pipeline, and parsing, you're not parsing text, you're working with objects, because that's just a such a critical conceptual element of the PowerShell paradigm. And that's the probably the biggest paradigm jump that beginners have to make. Once they make that jump, that's when the light bulbs and the aha moments go off. And you can, can see that. But the only thing we can do is try to get people to learn PowerShell by doing it and not by searching for PowerShell. Because you're with the story you just told me, I've heard countless times. I had a student in a instructor-led class I was doing. And she found a PowerShell script online that did close to what she needed to do. But then she spent the next two weeks copying and pasting and doing everything that she could to try to get it to massage it to work in her environment, which was very uh, secure and locked down, which was one of the reasons she was having issues. At the end of two weeks, yeah, she got something that kind of worked. But the only she learned was copying and pasting, really. Whereas if she had open up a brand new script file, put in comments about what the steps are that she wants to do, you know, and then find the commands that would do that and then put it all together. At the end of two weeks, yeah, it may have hurt a little bit more, but she's going to have something that will work in her environment and she will have learned something. And the next time she has to do it, her learning curve will be a little shorter. And as that repeats on and on, your learning curve becomes shorter and shorter and shorter until you're like me and old grizzled guy who's been doing this for 15 years and doesn't even think about it. So, I mean, I, again, trying to look back at my partial code from 2006, because I still have some of that code, it's scary bad. But because I didn't fully understand, I even back then, I was still tr struggling to get my head around this PowerShell world. Because I come from, you know, I was the king of VBScript and HTAs. That was, that was my thing. Um, so I, too, had an adjustment and had to accept that PowerShell paradigm. But then once my head got around it, yeah, now the sky's the limit. And I'm always looking for ways to, to push it now because I know that there are limits that there are about that there are no boundaries really uh, to what i can do it, it it really it was a a light bulb moment where when, once you realize how you've been approaching it wrong i i my my entire career shifted just by one person saying well here let me give you a, a foundation so it'd be it'd be nice to pay that forward but i'm i'm terrible at reaching out i'm i'm awful at it <laughs> yeah I, I know people are you know shy and afraid of looking foolish and stuff. And as much as I know, I, you know, I hear you guys talk all the time about help people get over that and the imposter syndrome and all of that. But sometimes we just have to accept that people are the way people are. 
Yeah, there's only so much flexibility there, especially yeah. given a short time frame. Yeah. But hey, if you are struggling to ask for help and ask questions because you're worried you're going to be perceived a certain way, as you can tell here, you're not alone. <laughs> We're all with you trying to be perceived well. Um, but I think that it's a sign of confidence and strength when you're able to ask questions that would expose you to being perceived as like a noob or, or whatever kind of toxic way people like to think about things or gatekeeper, whatever. Um, which I try and lean on that, but I'm, I'm with you, Jordan, dude. I struggle with asking questions. Sometimes I I'm way more likely to ask a trusted friend than I am to post publicly just in general. I'm not a huge public post because it's like a can of worms potentially. Um, I've only had good experiences as an adult, but for some reason I still feel that way. Sitting here outside of it, it's easy to say what, what I'm about to say of, you know, if the worst case scenario is to come off as a new person, all they're saying is, look, someone's trying to learn. How is that negative? But when you're in it, it just feels different. It, it does. The only thing that we need to warn people about is don't be that person that comes and says, hey, does anyone have a script that does X, Y, and Z? Because the, there's still a lot of people who I see out there who have this idea that PowerShell is just this turnkey system and there's just this huge library of scripts ready for them to run. And that's not really the case. Meets all, meets all environments. <laughs> yeah. So the best thing to do is say, yeah, I, ha I'm, I have a question and this is what I've tried. Definitely want to make sure you're actually trying to learn. And, and you'll find that you can make great relationships with people that are very interested in actually helping if you show that willingness to learn and that you're trying to solve the same problem that they've solved when they were learning PowerShell. And they now have the benefits of success from learning it, and they're happy to pass that on. And like you said earlier, Jeff, the best way to learn is to teach. And it's way cheaper than my daily rate, so... And it reminds me uh, of a lot of, you know, I'm thinking of, I'm playing pickleball, <laughs> but with action sports like snowboarding or things like that, um, really with most things in life, but the faster you fail, like really successful people who can learn new skills quickly are very, they are very quick to go to that. Let's make mistakes, learn, construct, ask for help, ask very directed questions that show engagement and Bada bing, bang, boom. You spend less time struggling and more time succeeding. But um, I'm I'm sort of I'm hoping to get to that point when I'm really living that all the time, totally asking questions in the moment. But um, I still have some work to do myself. You'll get there. Hopefully. Hey, we're all going somewhere, right? So hopefully yeah. I get there. Yeah. I want to bring up a bit of an example of a time that I asked a question today, actually. Um, Jeff, I'm mentioning whenever I asked on Twitter about why you would use new variable rather than just dollar sign variable equals. And mm -hmm. I found a bunch of use cases that I never would have thought of uh, at all just by asking. And I think you, what did you suggest? Oh yeah. So what's your answer for that? Why would oh, so you my, use? My answer was sometimes <clears throat> I may have a script and I want to create a variable, but I want to put in the global scope. So instead of using the global prefix, I'll use new variable and there's a scope parameter and then specify global. That can be a little clearer than just the, the global prefix. Or the other reason uh, is in, in the script, if I want to create a constant or a read-only variable, uh, for that you have to use the variable commandlets. And when would you want to make a read-only variable? 
oh, I use read-only variables. If I am like bringing a, um, like say an API key and I'm storing it as a variable, I want to, I don't want to accidentally overwrite that key. So, uh, and, and constants, I mean, there's some, going back in the days of VB script, we use constants all the time for lots of stuff like an AD or in the Excel object or whatever. So same idea. I can create a variable and mark it as a constant so I don't accidentally remove it or override it. Or if I do, I can use dash force. But then I know that I'm intentional. I'm not going to accidentally do it. I'm intentionally doing it. Yeah, it seems to me that the result of that one is you always try to override it without dash force and like, oh yeah, and then do rerun the command with dash force. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, I want to get serious here. Uh-oh. What's up with supports should process, you know, dash what if, dash confirm? Where are we with that? What should we be doing? Should we be adding this functionality to our scripts? Should we be avoiding it? How do we go about it? What's up? <clears throat> you should, if your command does anything that modifies the state of the system. So basically anything other than getting something or reading something. If you are creating, deleting, adding, modifying in your function, in the commandlet binding attribute, add supports should process. That automatically gives you dash what if and dash confirm. You don't have to code anything else. If your code inside your function is then calling a commandlet, like say remove item or stop process, that automatically, that also uses dash what if, those commandlets will automatically inherit the what if parameter from your function. So you don't need to specify it again. I'm, you don't have like to specify anything. Right. So if I have a, a command that's like, you know, remove my test files and I add support for dash what if, and then in the code and the body of my function, if I'm calling remove item, I just remove item path, whatever. When I go and run remove my items or remove my test files dash what if, when the code running gets to remove item, it also will then do dash what if. So you don't have to code anything. Now, there are other ways that if you want to customize or if you have input or you've got commands in your code that don't support dash what if natively, like say you're calling some .NET methods, which don't support dash what if, there are ways that you can programmatically create your own what if structure, but that's a little more complicated than I can explain here in a podcast. It's fair. But yeah. yes, your command, if it's modifying the state, should support dash what if. And it's very easy to put in Supports should process, all one word. And it makes your life so much easier for documentation, for safe, of, or I don't know, state of mind, I guess, to feel okay about the code that you're running. You can run it with dash what if and yep. no beforehand and then confirm and you can kind of iterate through them one at a time because sometimes there's five things you're going to do and they're very important. And yeah, you could just run it, but you know, it can be nice to watch sometimes. Yeah, it's amazing sure. how just that one little supports should process, all one word, Putting in that command line binding gives you two parameters. So the help's automatically generated for it. And the you don't have to code the parameters. They're automatically included. And they're automatically inherited when you run the command. So that's a 
pretty awesome win for just a tiny bit of work. Definitely. And if you're not familiar with this, and this sounds like something you're interested in, you should a million percent look into it and have it be the next little uh, trick you add into your tool belt and rely on. I am pretty sure that there is an about topic even. I was looking for an about topic. I didn't see one specifically for supports should process. Uh, It might be under commandlet. There's an about topic for commandlet binding. Yeah. What if it's interesting? I had a friend that was very slow to adopt PowerShell. And then I showed him what if, and then he didn't trust what if to actually work. So he went through and tested it thoroughly. And once he was comfortable, now he's he's getting more and more into PowerShell. But it was without what if, I don't know if he ever would have started the journey just because he was afraid of the what's it going to do a big thing that i harp on on the podcast a lot is safety right finding safety to ask questions to make mistakes but also to know that the code you're running isn't going to totally screw everything up now you could have some fun and you could create a powershell session and in that session create a ps default parameter value on all commandlets and set what if to true so then every command that you run in that session We'll only do dash what if. Uh, that sounds like you're going to make some people angry, <laughs> which I'm for. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, it could be kind of fun, but it's also just to show you that, yeah, you can run PowerShell and not change anything in PowerShell. Show you, yeah, this is what I would have done. Kind of a, a training wheel session. Yeah, yeah, a training session, yeah. With a little Jeff, safety session, yeah. Jeff, can I grill you again? I got another deep question. What's in your profile, man? What are you doing? What's the core components of your profile that oh, you think man. are worth replicating? Is there a lot there? Am I opening up a can of worms? No, no, no. I I use um, I use PowerShell. I'm looking at my profile. So I because I live my entire day from a PowerShell prompt. Um, I run. PowerShell 7, 3.3, that's my daily driver in Windows Terminal. <clears throat> and I include, oh, I have all sorts of things here. Um, I have a calendar. So I have a module called PS Calendar. And all the stuff's up in my GitHub repo. And I can always give you links. So my profile loads and I have a calendar. I have a customized prompt. That includes the date, uh, date time, the PowerShell version, and then uh, a shortened version of the path. So if the path gets too long, it starts truncating it. I did. I used to have a thing with emojis, but I don't do that anymore. Um, I then have, and then load a couple modules. Uh, one of them is my PS work item module. So this uses a MySQLite database. And I keep all of my to-dos in there and they are categorized for, like, for example, right now, um, I need to do the Tech Mentor Orlando call for papers. So that's a to-do for me. And then I also have a tickle, which is stored in a SQL database. I need to move that over. Uh, That is, I think, the My Task module. So I can put in calendar reminders. And then if I need to, I can then also run a, I have a PowerShell function 
that will use the burnt toast module and create a little pop-up reminder uh, that I can tie into my calendar. And then I guess the other things that I have are just the other modules I use all the all the time. Like I use the Windows Sandbox. <clears throat> so I've got some, I have a module that I use to uh, control that. But the big things, yeah, the calendar. Oh, I also have a little PS Clock is another module. So that creates a little WPF form that I just drag down to the bottom of my screen because I make it really big so I can see the date and time. Because my monitor, I have like a 42-inch monitor or 46-inch monitor, really wide. And so I always have to look way down in the corner to look at the time, whereas the clock now is dead center and I can, can see it. So, so yeah, so I use PowerShell basically to, to run my to run my day. I've got all sorts of shortcuts that if I want to start Thunderbird or Firefox or Excel, I just usually just it's a two-letter shortcut and up it starts. Notepad, I a list of NP. You know, so I'm I'm lazy. That's the way to do it. Figure out. It sounds like you've made PowerShell kind of fit your workload, fit yeah, your yeah. Um, workflow. I guess would be a better yeah, word. Workflow, yeah. Nice. Very so cool. After you mentioned, I actually went and pulled up the the PS Calendar repo, uh-huh. and I was uh, geeking out about a command that I missed the very first line that says this command is not supported in PowerShell seven. Is the show GUI calendar where you can oh, specify, right. yeah. you can specify highlight these dates. So it'll pop up the calendar for the month with the dates you need highlighted. I thought yep, that was yep, yep. So I have um in my profile, I pull the events from my SQL database that has all my my calendar reminders and make those highlight dates that then show up in my calendar. I mean, so, that sounds like that's uh, there's a lot of it's it's interesting to see. I mean, for me, a calendar is a calendar. I wouldn't think past that. But reading through it, you've added a lot of value for something that I just would have glossed over instantly. Said, "Yeah, it shows the date." Yeah, I don't know. We don't have an easy way to share snippets, or because I can easily do a screen cap and show you. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think there's any way for me to paste this anywhere. No, it's not, but we can put in a link for the PS counter specifically if they're yeah, interested yeah. in seeing, because you have a lot of good screenshots in there showcasing what you can do. It's, it's robust. It's, there's a lot in there. Yeah, and, and it works uh, for the most part, depending on whatever culture you're in. So that was a kind of a tricky thing to get it to work with different languages and cultures. Because not every culture starts their week on Sunday. And people's days of the week sometimes are different. Sometimes it's two letters, sometimes it's three letters. So trying to get that all format. And oh, and by the way, I should give a shout out to all of this is based on some old code from Lee Holmes. Long time ago. I just heard of that guy. Ran with it. Yeah. Awesome. So there's one that like the get dash n calendar, because I always need to know the second Tuesday, because that's Patch Tuesday and they have content to create for that one. So get dash n calendar, you just give a, a quick pop-up or just n cal, it looks like you have a NCAL alias. Is the yeah. There's a Linux version. I mean, there's a Linux command n cal. And so get n cal is the Windows equivalent. The module, I believe, is cross-platform, but that n cal command, if you're on Linux, doesn't load. 
because you've got the Linux NCAL command to use. Yeah, we, that's a kind of conflict we see with a few things, yeah. mostly with aliases, I believe. Yep. So, Jeff, last time yeah. we talked to you, it's been a while. It's been about a uh, year, A right? year. Well, not quite Just a year. About, not, a year. Quite, not quite. No. We actually front-loaded like our first four episodes, so we started about a year ago. But we were talking about the on-ramp program a little bit, and that's what uh, that's the program you're responsible for for um, PowerShell Summit this year and last year. Could you tell us a little bit about that and what is coming with that, differences from last year, anything exciting there? Well, the, the on-ramp program, um, Don and... Don Jones and Jason Helmick and I started a number of years ago because we realized, you know, we got the PowerShell deep dive, you know, the PowerShell Summit, really hardcore content. And we always wondered, well, should there be some intermediate or we didn't necessarily want beginner content, but thought, well, how do we get people to come into this? Because at some point, people, they're in their careers, they'll be really into PowerShell and then they get promoted to management or something, or they're not we move on, on to other things. We're not doing that, so they're not going to be coming back to the summit. So we wanted a way to be able to bring, make sure there's a pipeline of people coming into the conference. And so the first year that we did this, it kind of became um, like PowerShell training with Don, Jeff, and, and Jason, which was okay, but that's not really, I think, what we wanted it to be. Because it was just like beginner PowerShell stuff. So when I took over, we started shifting the focus to be more. And this is also ties into the DevOps Collective Association with uh, some other nonprofit groups that are devoted to uh, helping certain helping certain populations get into IT and get entry level jobs and people retooling and reschooling and all of that. So. The on-ramp program became a way for people who are new to IT, kind of just getting started in the IT or DevOps world, and we want to give them the skill sets to be successful in that. So we focus on introductory career stuff. So we do a lot of soft skills stuff. Um, and we also then introduce them to the different concepts that we cover eventually in the in the PowerShell Summit. Things like PowerShell and Docker, containers, um, DevOps, Azure. So during the course of the three days, because the on-ramp program runs concurrently with the PowerShell Summit, we have some sessions where the attendees will go to the main track. For example, Don Jones is doing um, I think a session on resume building. So that's perfect for the people who are an on-ramp because they need to know how to build a good tech resume. And so for that slot of time, we'll go to the main track and then we'll come back to our room for the rest of our track. So I've, the sessions that I have um, are being presented by a, pretty much the same speakers that are in the main track. I've asked people to if they volunteer and do a second track for the on-ramp program. So they'll come down, for example, Anthony Nocentino, he's going to come down and he'll do his session on, you know, intro to, to Docker and containers. We're not going to teach them containers in 45 minutes, but we're going to give them an introduction 
and they may not they may not need to use containers where they are now, but at least they will be exposed to it. They'll know the if they hear a term, they go, oh, okay, I know what that means. Um, so we try to give them a f- introduction stuff. I think this year I have someone doing Ansible. That's going to be new. I'm looking forward to that because I don't really know Ansible. So I'll, I'm going to learn enough uh, to get started. And then we also, again, want to introduce them to soft skills, uh, how to interview, um, resume writing, and to learn about PowerShell in the community. Uh, you guys are coming in with Mike Kanakos and doing a session talking about the PowerShell community. Now, actually, Mike is the speaker, and you guys are just going to interview him about the community, and the attendees will get to kind of watch and participate and see what this whole PowerShell community thing is all about. So the on-ramp program is designed get people started, give them an introduction. Hopefully then over the course of the next year, they'll ramp up on their skills, PowerShell, containers, Pester, whatever thing they're interested in. And then they can come back the next year and attend the main conference. Now, it certainly may still be over their heads, but we've already talked about, (coughs) you know, let it wash over you, take what you can. You'll have the content. Go back, revisit it later. The more you use it, eventually things will start clicking. So that's kind of what we have planned for the on-ramp program. I'd be willing to bet for at any point someone going to Summit, they're going to hit something that goes over their head. I remember I, I, I follow along with far more than I did with the first what I attended 2018 to, to last year's, but there's always something I hit in there is like, I, I can't even follow this. There's one I was trying to do a, a blog article when I went to Adam Driscoll's about creating a, a editor. And he went so deep into that. I couldn't even intelligently write about what he was teaching in that one. And that one felt like it, the, the session was, uh, I wasn't ready for it. So I think you're always going to run into something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that what you said about let it wash over you, it it reminds me um, how in IT, there's so much. And by kind of painting the picture, by understanding, oh, this is Docker, it's an option, it solves this type of problem, and so on and so forth. I think that sets people up with such a great roadmap of what to expect in IT, what solutions are there, how things are done. Um, Because if you could start in IT, your first job is often your exposure to how things are done. I mean, yeah, you've read books and stuff, but it actually applying it, it seems different. If you're working in a culture that maybe isn't doing things the best way, you probably aren't going to learn the best way. So, yeah, the one thing cool. that we have done differently for this year, at least we're going to try it anyway, is <clears throat> I'm taking all of the PowerShell content that I would have normally done during the on-ramp program, and that is now a pre-con. So I'm doing a full-day pre-con on PowerShell fundamentals, primarily for the on-ramp people, but really for anyone, uh, because there were were always, to me, in my mind, too many people in the on-ramp program who were just there because they wanted PowerShell training from me. And the rest of the content that we're delivering to the on-ramp people, it's intro career stuff. And doesn't really apply to them because we don't people who are in on-ramp that's their ticket they don't go you don't bounce back and forth between on-ramp and the and the main track other than sessions that i have designated as on-ramp content that's from the main track 
So we decided because there are more than a few people who want that introductory PowerShell or a PowerShell refresher to get ready for the conference, we've moved that then to a pre-con and that's a separately ticketed event, which is, I don't think really that much money to add to your ticket. So that's new. Looking forward to that. We'll be there Sunday. Might see you at the bar that night. I think we're arriving Saturday this year. So we're, Jordan can attest, uh, I'm so excited <laughs> to see everybody and get caught up and learn some new stuff. I'm, I'm hoping for a slightly different feel. I know uh, last year our podcast was brand new and I felt like we were kind of uh, a nuisance by uh, bothering people to interview and hoping this time is it the way people are like, hey, we'd love to talk to you. Like, I want people to reach out to us now. Oh, I think I think they will. Yeah. And by us, you mean probably me a lot. And I'm gonna have to be like, okay, how much time do we actually have? Oh, well, we'll mean well. We'll try. We'll we'll see. I'm excited. Especially though. if Jordan's wearing the new t-shirt. Oh, they know about the t-shirt. See, some people haven't forgotten Jordan. Oh, I'm having a t. I've I've forgotten. Which I, I think it's a t-shirt with me on it or something. Oh, yeah, I, well, the t-shirt without you on it. With, <laughs> oh, that's right. With just a Jordan on it. <laughs> I, I have a, a black and white t-shirt of me with uh, baby Yoda ears on. That. <laughs> no, we're, we're printing a new PowerShell podcast t-shirt with you with just your face on it. It says my PowerShell podcast. My power, I like it. I, I like mean, it. It, it just, it's just the way that the image shows up. In Twitter, when I look at the PowerShell pod, I, I've, I've been having a lot of fun with that, knowing that you know, I am the face. You are the, the face. <laughs> Jeff, can you believe it's been a year? Yeah. I mean, it's been over a year now, but it's so wild. It's funny how time goes by. So, yeah, and you guys, uh, from the very beginning, have great production quality. So, you know, it, it sounds good. It looks good. I Now, now we're doing video and yeah, and i i've always wanted to say thank you from the early get-go you were always reaching out with advice to help us grow when we were still trying to get our feet like some of the advice you gave us was a huge help to to us to get to the next level so i really appreciate you being willing to invest time in in the podcast like that oh anytime yeah i'm here for you guys it's been so cool uh, to, you know, I know we've helped a couple people at least, and I hope that we've, at least some people, we're reassuring them, or at least we're there for them on their PowerShell journey in some way and connecting them with some cool people along the way. Yep. I'm also, looking forward to Summit and some Scotchy Brown liquors with uh, Jordan. and I'll, I'll be all in on those. Yeah, yeah. I want so, those big Capri Suns with big alcohol friends. in them. <laughs> those were interesting drinks. So, if you don't mind me, do you know how many scholarships there were for the on-ramp this year? Uh, I'm not sure. I think three or four. I think I have saw some emails come to me that way. I have not seen or heard from James about how ticket sales are going. Um, you know, I'd be happy with 10 people. That's plenty. Um, I think last year we had probably close to 20. But at least three or four of those people were there just really for the PowerShell content. So I'd rather be able to focus purely on the entry-level IT people, at least for as long as that still seems to be a need. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I think this will be kind of a, a turning year. 
Oh, and I guess since I have a kind of an audience here, if anyone who is anyone interested in helping or being involved in the on-ramp program and will be at the summit, find me and let's talk. Um, I'm not going to be doing this forever and I need to start thinking about what's the summit going to look What's the on-ramp program going to look like in a couple of years and who's going to be running it? So if someone would like to start getting involved now with the idea that, yeah, I'd like to try that, come find me at Summit and let's talk. What a great way to help out too by being involved in something that, like that. That is very a very direct impact. Fantastic way to contribute. So I, I do have to admit that the on-ramp last year came in, but the biggest mistake I made at the podcast happened uh, with one of those interviews we interviewed the three scholarship winners last year and i messed up the upload and we lost the recording but we were so excited we got to talk to him so we got an inside look of people that were attending your sessions and what they're taking from it and it was wonderful and i and i screwed it up so i'm hoping this year to be able to go through and uh i, I don't know, redeem myself i i need it you know it's pretty exciting this year because a couple of people I've been mentoring for a while got scholarships. So I know I'm really looking forward to hopefully they agree to do some deeper interviews and we can explore their PowerShell journey. And now they're at Summit and oh my gosh. Good, good. All right, Jordan, you ready to hit them with some hard hitters? And, and Jeff, when we do these really challenging questions today, I'd love to hear your modules be some of your modules. Um, because I think you have some really great modules, underrated modules, and so many of them too. And you can learn a lot from seeing how you approach things. Like at least early on in my PowerShell, not really even early on, but like midway through my PowerShell, I learned a lot from looking at your projects and similar projects from people who put a little bit of attention to detail. And, and there's a lot you can learn about how to approach things. <clears throat> okay. So are you ready for the dreaded common parameters? Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, what's one time something went wrong on the job and how did you handle it? Well, this is the one that I had the hardest time coming up with something. I, I think you asked this to Doug Fink and I thought his response was kind of good. So I'm going to kind of say I'm the same as Doug. Um, I can't think of too many problems. Usually if someone had a problem, if there was a problem, people came to me to fix the problem. I guess the one thing that does come to mind, and I guess I would give as advice is, I would always approach a serious or critical situation with an exit strategy. How do I get out of this? How do I roll back? How do I back up? How can I not make it worse? So, and maybe because I had that kind of mindset, maybe that's why I don't really have too many of these stories where, you know, I deleted the database because I didn't delete the database because I was prepared upfront and had an exit strategy or recovery strategy should it really go bad. So I guess that's going to be my, my answer. That's my final answer. So uh, you, you, you always went in with the safety net, which is, I mean, it seems so easy now, but it's the first thing I ever across my mind. It's like, yeah, you could do that. Yeah. Well, yeah, you just have to, Take a moment to think about what is what is the thing that I am trying to fix, and is there a way? What are all the ways that it could go worse? And what can I at least do to not make it worse? So if if I can't fix it, at least 
or if my fix doesn't work, because that was always, you know, an issue as well. I used to, I used to be back in the days of the, of the macro viruses, like I love you and Melissa, and I'd be, you know, called in to clean up an infection at a client site. And so I was trying to make sure I had a way to at least not make it worse if I couldn't get it cleaned up. But yeah, safety nets, it sounds, oh, well, yeah, duh, safety net. But so many people just rush right in and they they're feel like their boss is breathing down their neck. And you just got to be willing to say, just hold on a moment. We need, let's not make this worse. First, do no harm. That's a good approach. All right. First question down. Second right. one. It just gets more intense. I think you're ready for this one. Yeah. With all of the knowledge you have now in IT and PowerShell, what is one tip you'd give your younger self when you're first starting? Yeah, and this one, one this was an easy one. My advice to my younger self is don't be so cocky. You don't know as much as you think you know. Um you don't, or, or I should say, you are not reinventing the wheel. You are not coming coming up with ideas that no one has ever thought of before. You don't know as much as you think you do. And be willing to be a little more humble and take the time to learn what you need to learn. So that, not saying I was a jerk back when I was younger, but I realized when I was a little older, looking back, and I'd see other young IT pros who were like my age when I first started, and I saw the same behavior and go, oh, yeah, you really don't know as much as you think you know. And just keeping that in mind, I think, makes you a better you know, IT professional and also just a better person. People are going to want to work with you. And you may mean well. I mean, I meant well in saying, okay, I can solve this problem. I'm young and I'm a hero and I can do this. And that that's fine. But be willing to accept the fact that maybe you really don't know what you're doing. And that someone else does have a better way and let them help you and learn from that. I don't know that I've ever been burdened with an abundance of self-confidence, but it's a different approach. I think, I think my own self-doubt is uh, probably also noticed. <laughs> All right, last one. And and this one, I, this one kind of leads into your strengths because you have so many in your old repo you can pull from. What are your three favorite modules? Well, I already talked about you know some of the ones that I basically run my day th through. Um, another module that I use, maybe not all the commands because it's a huge module, uh, is my PS Script Tools module. Uh, because in that module there are a couple commands. One of them is new PS format XML. Talk about objects in the pipeline. I love being able to have customized format for my objects, except custom format requires a PS1 XML file, which no one wants to create one of those. So my function, I feed it a sample object, specify the properties I want, whether I want a table or a list, and it generates the XML for me. I can easily edit the, the XML file. And the file that it generates also has um, Comments that shows you how you can, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> customize it with uh, script blocks and everything. So I use that 
a ton. Uh, the PS script tools. Uh, there are a couple other commands in there. Like uh, I use get parameter info. So if I'm looking at a command and I'll be able to look at the parameters, look at the parameter sets and see what's default, find the dynamic parameters. <clears throat> it's basically a wraparound get command, but it presents the information in a way that's more consumable. So PS script tools is one that I use a lot. Um, another one that I use a lot that I guess is kind of a favorite is um, PS project status. So I have a lot of functions and I usually working on our modules. And so I'm usually working on lots of things at the same time. And I wanted a way to be able to keep track of where I was at, you know, what state is a module in. And so the module, let me go back to uh, come on, PS. Yeah, PS project status. So I create a JSON file in the root of the module directory. And that JSON file has a schema. And in there, I can have uh, the last, when the file was last updated, project version, a status. Uh, it has links for the GitHub remote repositories. There's a section for tasks, comments, tells them what Git branch I'm on. So I've set a commands that basically update that JSON file. And there's some VS Code or IC integrations to make it easy to update the file. So I can just do like get PS project status and look at the current status of any of the project and see, you know, say, oh, it's stable. Oh, I'm updating this one. And this is the version number I'm on. And these are the tasks that I'm working on. So it's all stored in a JSON file. So PS project status. And then uh, the last a module that I use a lot that I don't think I've heard people talk about uh, is Platypus. That is from Microsoft, and that is the module that I use to generate all of my documentation for my modules. So Platypus creates an interim set of markdown documents. It basically gives you fill in the blank, literally fill in the blank, and you then can convert all those Markdown documents into the MAML XML file, and you're done. So Platypus, P-L-A-T-Y-P-S, is definitely um, a very cool tool. So what Microsoft uses, um, I use it all the time, and I have some workflows, you know, some tasks built into VS Code to automate that. So those would be my modules. Some good choices. Yeah, I feel like Platypus is the ultimate in like the PowerShell mindset, because people like make modules, no one wants to do the documentation. So here's a module to do the documentation. That's that's a very PowerShell approach to things. Well, because, yeah, and if if by chance your function that you started with um, comment-based help, when you create the Markdown document, it will consume that comment-based help and populate the examples and parameters and all of that. Once you have that, then you can delete the comment-based help out of your function. Nice. So don't be afraid to put in the comment-based help now because you will eventually use it when you go to create full-blown external help. 
And if by chance, you know, you are writing a module for a company that say, oh, I need to localize this for German or Italian or French, you can then create your markdown documents, create the localized version of those documents, and then create a localized version of the external help. So your module can ship with ENUS and DE-DE and Spanish, whatever languages you need. I know that's probably, you know, a, not a huge number of people, but it is a pain point for some people. And, and it's it's nice that there's something is, I think, when it comes to contributing or making your own module, things like documentation and the testing are probably the biggest roadblocks because if they're in there making a module, they're probably more comfortable with PowerShell. It's the stuff around making the module function for everybody. So it's nice that there are things out there to help work through that side of the module creation. Yeah, and when you create create like the new markdown help, it will go through and create all of the headings. It puts in the, the syntax, all the parameters, and it just leaves you literally a little section saying, fill in the blank for synopsis, fill in a description, fill in an example. So it hardly takes any time. You don't have to write an enormous description. One or two sentences is probably fine for most people. The examples can be one or two lines. It can be really simple. Yes, it's in Markdown, which for some people may be a bit of a learning curve, but it's for what you need to produce the Markdown help documents, it's minuscule. It's hardly anything that you need to know. Well, those are some, those really are some fantastic choices. I try to make life easy for myself. If other people benefit, okay, that's good too, but you know. Main goal of PowerShell, I think, removing pain points. Yeah, I'm always, yeah, the phrase that I've started resorting to uh, is reducing friction. Oh, okay. I like that one. I guess, Anything yeah. that I can do or teach someone some way to to use PowerShell or a command or a concept that reduces friction, not only in creating code, but also in using and consuming code. You know, so something as simple as like, you know, a parameter validation technique that reduces friction for the user. It reduces friction for you because they get an error up front without running the code halfway through and then having it blow up. Definitely think about it. Yeah, that's my uh, old school uh, IT approach is I was always terrified of running a script and typically my scripts back then were like configuring servers and have it blow up halfway through. And now my server is in some indeterminate state. If there's going to be a problem, I want to know up front there's a problem. I want to do everything I can to make sure that when I run the command or start it, that it's going to finish without error. So that, to me, that's reducing the friction. So parameter sets, parameter validation, specifying the type, the, the proper type for your parameter, the right names for the parameter, all those little things reduce the friction. Always reduce that friction, make it easier. We're lazy here. That's why we like it, right? Yeah. Awesome. My laziness is my strength. Jeff, I'm not sure if you remember early 2000s or if you're a fan of American football, but Ray Lewis used to 
hype up the defense going into a game. And it was legendary the way he would do it. And he has admitted that he actually based a lot of his hype on Andrew Plaw Schilling. And he has stated that if he had been able to tap more into it, the Ravens probably would have three Super Bowls instead of two. Uh, but we get the advantage of seeing someone that inspires such greatness here to shill our podcast for us. And take it away, Andrew. Thank you so much, Jordan. And I'm not only here to shill our podcast, I'm here to shill power. Shell. I'm a power shill, man. And it doesn't stop. It doesn't only start at the end of podcasts. We're always doing it, man. You know the DMs. All right. If you're watching us on YouTube, give us a like. Let us know in the comment section what's a cool project you've come across recently. If you're new in PowerShell, what have you been struggling with? We will uh, aim to help you out, maybe create some content in that avenue. Give us a five-star review if you're listening to us right now on a podcast player like Apple Podcasts. Greatly appreciate it. Uh, A review with comments is even sweeter. You can email us, PowerShell at PDQ.com, with ideas on how to get more people involved in PowerShell or just to ask us questions. We brought you Jeff Hicks, ladies and gentlemen. Round of applause to Jeff for joining us. Recurring guest. We love him. Jeff, if people want to connect with you, I know you mentioned some people don't reach out. Well, we're telling them to reach out. And where should they find you? Well, I'm, I still have a presence on Twitter, uh, at Jeff Hicks. So that I, I just kind of keep an eye on things. I'm more actively social on Mastodon. And you can add the link there. That's one of those links that is hard to describe, hard to... It doesn't flow off the tongue like the Twitter ones do. So, but you can find me on Mastodon, um, and I also have a Substack premium newsletter. Uh, you just go to jeffhicks.substack.com and find behind the PowerShell pipeline. That's where I'm doing a lot of my premium content right now, helping people learn basically the the concepts of why we do stuff in PowerShell, not so much the mechanics, although there's some of that, but more the behind the scenes, the stuff that we don't really talk about, but would be helpful to know. So that's what I've been doing for the last year uh, is that, uh, and there are trial subscriptions if you want to see what that's all about. Awesome. And I'll be at the summit. So look for me at the summit and hopefully couple other conferences. I'll be in Europe. So for those of you in Europe, I'll be in Prague this summer. So I'm looking forward to that. We, we started pushing for it, but uh, it's going to be an uphill climb. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Good luck, guys. Thanks for joining the PowerShell Podcast with your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. <laughs> What's the matter with you guys? <laughs> the PowerShell Podcast is a production of PDQ.com. 